Today on the pod, I speak to Bill Jet Ramey from Batman on Film, talking about Ben Affleck, uh, 80s nostalgia, and everything in between of all things Batman. Me and John review Polar, the latest film in the Mads Mikkelsen universe on Netflix, and also we go back to Happy Death Day to you, to me, to you. In a cloud where there are already too many film podcasts, you have to ask yourself, what's the harm in one more? Two ordinary men armed with unqualified opinions. Talk filmy to me. Hello, welcome to the Talk Filmy to Me podcast, the film podcast about news, entertainment, general pop culture. We are back to your regularly scheduled programming, and that means my co-host is back with me. Uh, he is about 70% less Geordie, but 100% more John. John Descamento, how are you doing, buddy? I am amazing. I loved the last podcast, though I couldn't be part of it. The quality was uh, pretty on on it, and... I loved Lucy, loved the guest, following her on Twitter now, getting all her opinions, which is great. Nice, yeah, it was fantastic. Uh, the good people at Soho Radio Productions, we will be back there soon enough. But anyway, let's focus on this pod. I can't believe it, John, we're up to like episode 58. That's insane. 58? How long has it taken us to get to that? Uh, probably too long, considering we said we'll do this once a week. But anyway, <laughs> shall, we, uh, shall we crack straight on with news? News. Right, so BAFTAs. Uh, last time we went through all the nominations and all that sort of stuff, and it took about 40 minutes. Um, let's not do that this time. Obviously, there's been a load of winners announced. Obviously, Roma cleared house as well as the favourite. John, what was your, your take on the BAFTAs? Um, yeah, I mean, there's some odds. I, I don't know about the favourite cleaning up. Um, I was glad to see Roma get a, a lot of nods. But yeah, it kind of went. Was there any surprises? Kind of felt like a bit of a, a warm up to the Oscars. No huge surprises. How do you feel? Uh, I thought I thought um, Joanna Lumley's script was pretty bad. Like I felt really sorry for her because like it's obviously BAFTA had a bit of money to throw at this, but not much money if that makes sense. So like they done this terrible animation like in tribute to First Man. And it just looked like a Windows ninety eight window sa- like Windows saver. It was just it was just terrible. And yeah, she tried to make the script work that was written for her, but it was just so cringeworthy. In response to like the winners, I was uh, to be honest, you could kind of pick it a mile off, couldn't you? Uh, the favourite done really well because it had home field advantage, and as it was pretty evident every time the favourite was in a category, it was going to win. Uh, good to see Roma clearing house, but you know when someone keeps winning and they have to keep coming up on stage, it was getting embarrassing, <laughs> and yeah, you could you could feel the cringiness of it. Yeah, I mean, go back to the host thing. They've always got a raw deal, haven't they? That's a thankless task. You get given a shoddy script. I mean, the only people who are the people that have really nailed that role is probably a small handful. Uh, you'd say Ricky Gervais, or he does a memorable job. You'd love to see him come mm. back to do it, but um, I don't know if anyone would um, allow it now. It, the sort of jigs up a bit, <laughs> isn't it? They know what's going to happen. Yeah, true. And uh, every now and again, like the odd person coming up to present an award would attempt to make it a bit political, but it would basically you'd hear like a groan in the room of "Oh, shut up, mate! Just present the award." Yeah. Uh, not in a bad way. Don't get me wrong. I think if you've got a platform to present about politics, then absolutely. But if you're here to fight against Brexit, then where were you two fucking years ago like don't try and argue about it now like where were you because when i googled your activities at that time you weren't you weren't standing there on the street trying to convince people so at this point it's just a uh it's just for nothing really so anyway that's a bit doom and gloom but i i the ceremony was you know i enjoyed it i thought the entertainment part of it was was fantastic um need more richard e grant that's, I think it needed more Richard E. Grant, just being Richard E. Grant. That would have been pretty pretty cool. But, uh, but yeah, all in all, I mean, yeah, obviously this is build up to the big one. The Oscars are coming very, very soon. Now, a big hullabaloo has happened with the Oscars recently. And uh, the reason why is because they announced the running order of certain categories. And uh, they've also announced which categories are going to be presented during commercial breaks. One of them being hair and makeup and the other one being uh, editing. Linny, you did slam makeup, hair and makeup a few weeks ago on a podcast. So, I mean, I'm, I hope I'm not going to hear a, a violent defence of it now. Uh, no, it's more to do with editing, to be honest. Um, hair and makeup, don't get me wrong, like, fair play. 
uh, I don't know if, Os- if the Oscars is the right place to honour that, especially when you hear of films like Suicide Squad winning it like in previous years. So it's not it's not exactly that high a bar. I think there's other places to be acknowledged for that. But editing, come on, man. That's like a key part of the of the film industry. In fact, they BAFTA kind of went not over the top with this, but they gave their sort of lifetime achievement award uh, to Martin Scorsese's editor. Um she's been with him his entire career. And in fact, you don't realize it until they break it down in detail, but Yes, okay, the director is the person who captures the film on the camera, but it's the person in the editing room that makes the film or breaks the film. And the fact that they're like just casting that away during an ad break is is a crying shame. And a lot of the film community have come out and opposed this. A lot of the A-list celebs are now coming out as we speak at the moment. There's lots of different names like Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, are all coming out and basically trying to boycott this all of a sudden. So I don't know what, what re, uh, reaction we're going to get as a result of this. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's kind of shitty, really. It is a little bit. I mean, you can see why they've done that. It's because the names the famous editors and cinematographers are not your A-list names, aren't they? So, uh, And it's a cynical nod to that, really, I think, which is, it is a shame, uh, but it's great to see like the, a lot of huge directors pay homage to uh, to that because it's a bit of a kick in the teeth. If you if you're worked your ass off in one of those roles, working behind the scenes to make these films what they are, and, uh, and then you get to, you know you get overtaken by some Pepsi advert of Kylie Jenner <laughs> or one one of my other favourites. I don't know. Yeah, it's a bit of a kick in the teeth, isn't it? Yeah, especially when actually, believe it or not, editing is a lot more diverse um, than other fields of film. And the reason why, actually, is because it's strange to think, but editing, especially in sort of the early days of film, was kind of seen as a secretarial role. Like it was just that you get given some instructions to cut here and move here and paste together, which meant that it was mainly deemed by women. Women done a lot more editing back in the back in the day than men, and that's kind of gone into the modern field now. So it's actually a lot more of a level playing field than you'd think compared to like directors, for example. Um, it's just a crying shame. I think the reason why they try and do this is to try and make it a quicker event, like a, a smaller event in terms of time. Um, but that being said. 1994 was when they had their best uh, TV audience globally for the Oscars. And that was when Denzel was honoured. There was uh, tons of great films out that year. I think that was the year um, Quentin Tarantino received a nomination. And the actual show itself was nearly five hours long. So it's nothing to do with time. It's nothing to do with how long the thing is. If it's a good year of film and you're, you're highlighting actors and films of stuff that people have seen, then you've got a far better chance of getting a bigger audience. So anyway, that's my run over. Uh, I'm sure we'll do an Oscar special when all, all the results are in. But uh, anyway, let's talk about some some other film news. So Aquaman, who which grossed over a billion dollars, by the way, uh, at the end of last year. It was only a matter of time before A, a sequel would be announced. We knew that. James Gunn, uh, James Gunn, sorry, James Wan, is going to probably resume the director's chair. But they're actually announcing spin-off films now. There's going to be a spin-off film dedicated specifically to uh, The Trench. It's only a scene in the film, kind of a throwaway scene, but it's absolutely gorgeous, the cinematography of it. Um, they're doing a whole spin-off film as a result of this. Uh, John, are you bothered? Is this is this something cool, or is this just uh, you're cashing in for no reason? Well, just keep going, going for it, go for it, Aquaman, <laughs> do it, spin off, make your money. China will love it, uh, and I will turn my nose up at it like a big snob. Um, that's okay. It's all good, you know. I'm calm this week, although a film has angered me a lot, but I will get to that later on. <laughs> so um, other things that angered me actually I went on a right rant about this guy I talk about quite a lot Brian Singer um, absolute scumbag uh, finally I kept asking why has he still got the red song you gig why has he still got the red song you gig well maybe someone's out there has heard me because uh, the project Red Song which was supposed to be directed by Brian Singer is now on hold as uh, more victims are coming out about uh, Brian Singer and inappropriate uh, behaviour towards minors and, and fellow co-workers so um, at least he's finally finally being called out and action is starting to happen as a result of that so hopefully justice will be served and uh, yeah we can all move on from that so anyway speaking of other things that dropped uh, 
you remember when we looked at those pictures about Aladdin, John? Yeah, we've talked a lot about this, haven't we? Yeah, and how we're like, oh, it looks a bit panto, but anyway, let's wait until we see more. And uh, we thought it would give us more hope when we see a trailer. Well, anyway, a trailer dropped. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I think it's fair to say that uh, our hopes are, are really at the bottom of the, the well at the moment. Um, what did you think of it? Yeah, I mean, this I've, I'm sceptical about... I'm still trying to withhold judgment because Jungle Book really took me off guard and I loved it. So I, I do think there's a place for these live action Disney remakes. I think it's it's kind of cool. But this one, I mean, it, it, it's worrying how little you get of the genie uh, because you kind of think if it was if they were feeling really good about this, you might give Will Smith a bit more of a, uh, a role in the trailer. But um, yeah, it's not... It's not looking oh, just it's it's that same live action oh it's a bit dark we're going to use the music <laughs> and we're going to do it in a slightly sinister way and it's all epic and big and i yeah i it's not it's not grabbing me by the balls i have to say i've got i have a feeling that they weren't going to go blue and that because of the reaction to those press photos at the end of last year when he looked like a panto villain and there was no hint of blue or CG, so he wasn't in a mocap suit or anything. Um, Disney went, oh crap, we probably have gone a bit too far. Let's uh, give them the genie they all love and remember. Because the CG in this trailer looks astonishing right up until you see the genie. And it looks terrible. It looks like a, a PS2 character or a, a, a budget version of Avatar. Um, or do you know, in the in the UK we have these things called red top newspapers. They're basically our tabloids, and um, there'll be controversies all the time. And basically, they'll do like a really bad Photoshop job of sticking someone's face on something. Mm. It kind of looks like they've done that with Will Smith and the genie. It's just uh, yeah, I'm I'm really uh, I'm really skeptical about this movie now i my prediction is is that dumbo is going to be a surprise package after seeing the trailers for that it's just you know it's, it's looking like it's reluctantly becoming uh, a hit for him which is going to be great i think i think aladdin's going to be an absolute flop critically and i think the lion king remake is going to gross over a billion and that's what i think is going to happen i i'm gonna agree with all of that and i hope that dumbo is the surprise one because i think it, i think it'll be new to enough kids i don't think that's one of the ones that kids mm. see these days so i think that all that's genuinely going to be fresh and uh, exciting aladdin not so much yeah exactly anyway let's uh let's let's hold judgment any further <laughs> anyway so uh, the walking dead classic tv show uh, is going through really few changes over the last year a lot of the main cast has left now i'm going to give a bit of news which I was told last time I dropped news about Andrew Lincoln it was give a spoiler alert warning so I am giving you a walking dead spoiler alert warning um, a major cast member will be leaving so if you want to skip 15 seconds ahead you've got till now so um, yes uh, Michonne she is leaving the walking dead and um, all we know is oh that. Oh my god! <laughs> All I know is that uh, she is leaving. It is on her terms. They're probably going to do it as a season finale. Uh, they haven't described how they're doing it. If she's going to be killed off or used as part of the this this uh, movie universe they're using to build up. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm kind of gutted. I thought she she kind of become the heart and soul of the TV show. So, but she's an amazing actress. She was incredible in Black Panther. She's been working at I think the old Bailey um, in the UK as well, uh, doing theatre productions on top of that as well. She's an amazing artist, and uh, I think she's probably going to have an amazing film career. So that's probably why commitments to Walking Dead cannot be kept anymore. So anyway, that's that's on that. Spoiler alert over. Welcome back, um, John. Remember a while back we reported that AMC were going to be making a Breaking Bad movie. Oh, yes. And we didn't know much else. Well, more details uh, became presented this evening. So it is going to... Yes, it is definitely going to be a sequel to Breaking Bad. It is going to be a feature-length 
uh, I don't want to call it a feature length episode, but like a TV movie. It is going to follow what happens with Jesse and what happens next. And uh, yeah, this is really exciting. As many original cast members will be back reprising their roles. I can't help but feel this is going to join the dots with Better Call Soul in some size, shape, or form. I I can't wait. What about you, John? Yeah, this is proper. This is proper news, isn't it? This this is a sort of news that's so good that I'm nervous now. I'm like, oh no, they've got to get it right. They've got to get it right. You know, the end of Breaking Bad is the best TV ending in history, in my opinion. I think it's so good. Uh, it was just so bittersweet and satisfying and confusing. It was just amazing. Um, but obviously there is mm, I agree. a large, you know, a mystery. What happens next? And you always thought, oh, they'll li- just let us fill in the gaps. We'll kind of use our imagination. But no. They do not trust us. We're going to find out what Jesse gets up to. I think it's going to be... Uh, I'm going to watch it with my head in my hands and just pray that it's amazing. But it's got the... It's got all... Is Vince Gilligan is, is leading yes, the way. Yes, he? he is back. And, uh, yeah, a lot of the writers and previous directors of Breaking Bad, including Ryan Johnson, might even be involved. I know a lot of Star Wars fans might grimace at the thought of, of him coming back. But he did write some pretty good Breaking Bad episodes. So, yeah, let's let's see what happens. Um, I agree with you, John. I think Breaking Bad is just a beautiful TV show. The finale... It's very rare that a TV show just keeps getting better and better and better and better and knows when it's about to hit its peak and then ends and that's what Breaking Bad does it never lets up right until the end and you felt that if it continued if it carried on would it still hit those same heights no probably not so they went out definitely on top it's mad to think that Better Call Soul is like one season away from equaling the number of episodes though that that freaks me out <laughs> that's yeah that's a i mean i'm i'm only on series two of better call soul but I, I i mean it's it's brilliant in its own capacity i kind of you know they could just give me spin-off after spin-off of breaking bad to be honest you could give me one give me you know give me walt jr Spin, skinny pete skinny pete mate <laughs> oh, walt jr. I'd, I'd take a skinny <laughs> pete spin-off i'd take anything it's it's that good I'm not usually a spin-off man, but when a show's that good and the writers are that good, you think, yeah, just keep feeding me, please. So, yes, Breaking Bad cannot wait. I wonder if they're going to carry on, wonder what the title's going to be. Anyway, uh, can't wait for that to come out. Anyway, let's talk about some trailers that dropped. So, John, I saw this trailer drop this morning, and I generally, my first thought was, this is right up John's alley. Directed by Danny Boyle about Beatles songs and it's just it's just a really charming narrative it's even written by Richard Curtis uh, again someone who's wrote some of John's favourite movies so um, anyway it's called Yesterday the premise of this film is what if the Beatles never existed but one man knew of all of their songs and back catalogues and basically plagiarised it what would that look like? I've literally had this thought before I am a musician as you know write songs and I've had the thought I think a lot of musicians have. What if that never existed, but I knew all the songs? What would, what could you do? What would that look like? Or would people even still think they're amazing? Or in the wrong context, would would it just be another song? So I literally watched this trailer, and I think I never enjoyed a trailer more. To be honest, I was just like, "This is the shit." I absolutely love this. <laughs> it's got all the Beatles songs. It's obviously got permission for them, which is amazing. The concept is like really genuinely original and funny and interesting. When Richard Curtis writes these slightly off the wall ideas, I think that he like about time. I mean, that's an amazing underrated film. Uh, And that's these kind of wacky ideas. I think he just does that so well. Um, And honestly, I cannot wait for this film. I think it looks amazing. Um, and if it's not the best film of all time, I'm going to be very disappointed at this point. Am I bigging it up too much? <laughs> Maybe just a little bit, John. Um, yeah, I, the only thing that I kind of didn't like about this is that, you know, when a film's at a certain level in terms of notoriety, budget, and everything else, so it's got great people in front and behind the camera. Lily James uh, is in this film as well. Uh, it's introducing to us to a, a new actor, a newcomer as well. I can't, can't remember the gentleman's name. But then it shows a scene where he like turns up on the James Corden show and like, oh, now you've ruined it. <laughs> or like he's hanging out of Ed Sheeran. Yeah. I'm like, nah, I don't compare him to those 
people. That's not cool. So, um, but that's just the hit. That's just the hit. That's all right me. though. That's what they're putting in the trailer to try and draw you. Yeah. In, you know, I'm sure that's just a. That's not going to be a big no, part of it. Um, I did genuinely laugh at uh, when Ed Sheeran suggested changing Jude to Dude, so it's Hey Dude, because that's kind of him laughing at himself. I kind of appreciate that, Ed. Yeah, yeah, very true, very true. Anyway, I knew as soon as I saw that trailer, I was like, this is this is a wet dream for John. This looks great. So anyway, <laughs> if you haven't seen it yet, check it out yesterday. Uh, another big trailer that dropped was the sequel to Frozen. We kind of knew it was coming, Frozen 2. Obviously, for kids, this is their, this is their film, right? This is, there's going to be a generation of people out there and you know, there's there's no age attached to that. It's just gonna be a generation of people that generally loved Frozen. It was a great hallmark for Disney Animation Studios. It kind of for me, and yes, I know they had films like Zootopia, Big Hero Six, and Tangled, uh, all great successful things. But Frozen really was the multi-billion-dollar uh, classic for them, um, and that's when they got people like John Larister and the people at Pixar to move over to Disney Animation Studios, and that was their, like I say, their massive, massive uh, flagpole hit. So it was only inevitable the sequels coming out. John, were you? Are you an Eliza lover? Are you? Do you want to go build a snowman? <laughs> Mate, I worked on a Disney cruise ship, um, you know, even a couple of years after Frozen came out, and it was carnage. Just all, you, <laughs> all you've heard, all you hear about the princesses. I mean, it's... it's um, I'm quite frozen out, just like uh, many parents, nearly every parent in, <laughs> in America or England's probably been forced to watch it multiple times um i didn't think the trailer was it didn't exactly grab me to be honest i'm sure i'm not the target audience but it seemed a bit <laughs> like meh oh here's your favorite characters are back yay we're not gonna give anything away at all um so yeah no, it, it kind of looks like a poster for Canada, doesn't it, when they turn up and, <laughs> and look over that. Uh, the only one I agree with you about Frozen Doubt, last year uh, for Coco, I took my daughter to go see it. And, um, they, you know, Pixar stick a short animated film uh, in front of their movies normally. Now, for whatever reason, for Coco, they decided to not do that. They decided to do a short animated movie uh, from Disney Animation Studios. Just to be clear, you have Pixar Studios and Disney Animation Studios. Yes, they're both owned by Disney, but um, the folks at Pixar wanted to be kept separate, so they keep their culture and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, um, Disney decided to appoint the heads of Pixar to come over to be the heads of Disney Animation Studio, hoping that some of the success will rub off onto the, the new teams, which it is definitely done. And so they are able to share things like that. So they decided to put a Disney Animation Studio short in front of Coco. And the film they decided was a 11-minute short film about Olaf, and it was called Olaf's Short. And it wasn't a fucking short. It felt like a bloody lifetime. It was so cringeworthy. Obviously, uh, Coco came out, although it came out in the new year um, in the UK, actually in other countries it came out a little bit earlier, and I was able to, to go see it abroad, and that's how I was able to see it. But um, it was just so annoying and I still haven't shaken that off yet, John. <laughs> no, I can tell. You seem very very uh, annoyed about this. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Frozen 2, is. if it makes a comment on climate change, then I'm, I'm sold. That would be good, wouldn't it? Let's make a real political point that's going to wind up uh, ignorance. <laughs> I think that would be what, So they're going to they're gonna tear down an ice wall, is that it? Yeah, why not? There's so much you could do. I think Save you. <laughs> Frozen. I reckon that's my prediction, actually. Disney gets political. Disney gets political. It becomes like a poetry slamming. Anyway, John, let's save your screenwriting for Cage on Nonsense. And that's your news for this week. Hey, filmy people. Over the next segment, I am lucky enough to interview Bill Jet Ramey from Batman on Film. Over the last couple of weeks, Ben Affleck decided to step down from the role, and that has left a chasm of speculation about who will be wearing the cowl in the next cinematic endeavour. Uh, we do this interview over Skype, so apologies if there's any audio discrepancies. But if you like Batman, this is a segment you are going to want to turn your headphones up and enjoy. We are delighted on the Talk Film With Me podcast to be welcoming Mr. Bill Jet Ramey from Batman on Film. How are you, sir? I'm great. Thanks for having me on and 
always love talking a little Batman on film for sure awesome so for the uninitiated Batman on film is the uh, am I right in thinking it is the authoritative definitive dadgum original have I got that correct I I, I certainly believe that's the case so yeah, <laughs> we were the we were the one of the first ones we were uh, you know back in the late 90s one of the very first um, of the of the internet sites along with um, I don't know uh, Cole News and, and Dark Horizons and a lot of the others have gone, so I'm, I'm still around. It's going into going into my 21st year with this. That's insane. How did when did this start for you? Like, how, you mentioned like oh, 21 years ago, but how did you go yeah. from being a a Batman fan to launching the site and just keeping it going for this long? Well, after after Batman and Robin in 1997, I was I was really concerned that we would never get a Batman film again you know and i didn't think even even as much as i i love the original you know well i'll say the original but the you know the 89 movie tim burton michael keaton i mean i love it i, I never in with the you know with batman returns forever and the batman and robin i never thought we had a definitive batman movie and so you know about a year after that i finally got on the internet and ended up you know make a website and made a website and it ended up being about Batman and, and it was, you know, kind of promote and lobby for another Batman film. And, and that's, that's how it started and went from there and to, to uh, a lot of cool stuff. And let's see, we've had, you've had the dark Knight trilogy. Then we've had uh, the two uh, films with Ben Affleck since. So yeah, it's, it's been, it's been fun. These covering Batman on film these last 20 plus years. Oh, that's insane. That is that is so cool. So you've obviously covered what they call Batmania, which is when uh, yes. a new Batman is being announced. It's almost like how they pick the Pope of how uh, much yes. attention this yeah. sort of gut stuff gets. Yeah. Why does this character capture the imagination and the world so much like it does? Well, I think that Batman, I would say he is the most popular superhero comic book character amongst the mainstream audience because... He has no powers. He and, and there's a little bit, you know, there's a little bit of us in our in our thinking that, you know, maybe if I, you know, train real hard and had a bunch of cool gadgets, I could be Batman. You can't apply that to any other, you know, you're not going to get bitten by a radioactive spider. You're not going <laughs> to, you know, come here from Krypton and have superpowers. But, you know, you can it, it, Batman. It's also very visceral. I mean, the, his whole origin story, you know, the tragedy and. The realism of it, I think, just it, it appeals to people, and and uh, you know that's that's why Batman is is uh, I think he's the king of the of comic book characters, in my opinion, at least. Yeah, agreed. And it's kind of like they always say a character is never really immortalized until it's it's taken a new life. Like you think of your your Shakespearean yeah. characters, your Sherlock Holmes, your James Bonds, and uh, yes. and all that sort of stuff, and. There's been reactions to castings over the years, right? And I know oh, yes. uh, you guys on Batman on Film reflect back yeah. a lot about uh, how when Keaton was cast and stuff like that. But yes. when there's been reactions and backlashes, like mm -hmm. how how does that how does that happen? And at the same time, what has there been like examples when in the past when it's been absolutely turned on people's heads? Oh, absolutely. Well, I think that. Like fans, even myself included, all fans of have. If you're a Batman fan or a fan of any of, of these characters and you love them, you have uh, you know this predetermined idea in your head of what Batman should be, especially on film. And you have, and then what actor should play him. And when that doesn't mesh with casting, then that that can cause well, in some cases. <laughs> I mean, really crazy behavior, you know, reactions. We, we, we've seen it with Michael Keaton. I mean, I lived that. I was 20. I was just out of college. I was 23 years old when that happened. And I, I can only imagine if if that had happened, if, if Keaton had been cast in the day of the Internet. You know, we've seen it. We've seen <laughs> it with Heath Ledger and the Joker. And we've seen it with Anne Hathaway as, as uh, Selena Kyle in Dark Knight Rises. We saw it with Ben Affleck. People had epic meltdowns about him being cast as Batman and now there there are people who are about to jump off a bridge because he's not going to be Batman anymore so <laughs> I, I, it's always to me is 
I've learned just to, you know, I, I raised an eyebrow when Heath Ledger was cast, to be honest, but I, I have learned just to say, okay, let's, let's see how this plays out. Let's see how it is in context. Let's see the costume. Let's see the movie. And then we, then we judge. So that's where I'm at now. And I, I would hope that fans w- would take that approach, but you know, fan is is a short term for fanatic, and I don't know if. <laughs> look, look, I, I can guarantee you, when the new Batman is cast, there's going to be people who have, who have episodes about it online, and then, you know, once the movie comes out, he'd be greatest Batman ever, probably. <laughs> have you got a favorite Batman? Like, yeah, it's just, it's what I love about the character is that yeah. you, you'll speak to people of different ages, and each, each, each different ages will have different people in that. I mean, I think we can all agree that the voice of Batman is Kevin Conroy, but uh, in terms yeah. of like on screen, who is your Batman? Okay, I, I have to do two. I have to because Adam West was my first Batman. That's how I became a Batman fan. Oh, I, I I grew up watching the the first run of of, of uh, reruns when the show became syndicated in in the early seventies. Once it once its uh, mm. its television run ended, and I you know I I just that's why I'm Batman. So I, I mean why I'm a Batman fan. So that's why I have to mention him. But as far as uh, besides uh, uh, West, it, it's it's Christian Bale. I, I absolutely love the Dark Knight trilogy. It's it's it, it hit almost everything that, in my mind, I mentioned before about people having Batman in their mind, is what Batman is all about. I, I, I like the realism. I like the the grittiness and all that. So, you know, West because he was my first Batman and made me a Batman fan, and then and then Christian Bale for sure. What I find quite funny at the moment is obviously Vice is doing the rounds of the award ceremonies at the moment, and rightfully mm-hmm. so. Christian Bale's getting loads of awards for this, and he's mm-hmm. going up on stage and collecting these awards, and he's putting on his proper Cockney accent, and mm-hmm. the, the internet is going, "What? Bruce Wayne has a Cockney accent?" Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 said, I said people didn't know he was he was British. I didn't never. I mean, I knew that for, for yeah, Christ's yeah. sake. So. It blows my mind, you know. Guy's a hell of an actor. So I guess that's what it it should it should it should uh, speak to that. That I mean, he he just played Dick Cheney for Pete's sake, you know, <laughs> and he's played I mean, he's he's one of the best actors, if not the best, working today. I I, I'm, I think we're fortunate as Batman fans to have him have had him play Batman and have him part of Batman history. Oh, definitely, definitely. Saying that, I I personally really do enjoy Ben Affleck. I think he's a great Batman that just mm-hmm. hasn't got a great bat, hasn't had a great Batman movie, mm-hmm. sort of thing. Yeah. But um, let's talk about who you'd like to see in the role. Now, there's tons of names that are being dropped around at the moment. Yes. But what are the names for you that seem to be favourite for landing this role? Hmm. I'm I'm very bad at fan casting. Um. I. I really like Army Hammer because he is a very good actor. I want to act mm-hmm. first and foremost in the role. And if you've seen some of his stuff, you know, uh, social network and so forth, he, he's a, he's a very strong actor. Yeah. And 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 he's well, he's physically suited for the role. I mean, the dude is six four, six five, and and he is a leading man. Uh, has the leading man looks for Bruce Wayne, but I mean. Uh, it, it to me it's it, it just give me an actor first and yes he has to be I, I don't want a five 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 four dude playing Batman but you know I want someone who can can you know physically uh, portray Batman and and I want someone who is you know relatively looks like the Batman that we we see in the comics but besides that. I mean, I would love Army Hammer. I, I had look. I have no problem if Matt Reeves wanted to cast Robert Pattinson as Batman. I, I would. I would. I've learned my lesson. I would. You know, <laughs> it's not my first choice, but I would say, okay, okay, let's mm-hmm. see what happens. So we'll, you know, we'll 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 end up finding out. I think uh, you know everyone. Ha- I don't want. Look, I don't need a martial artist. You know. Kung Fu dude. I don't need any of this. I don't need some from from TV who people thinks is very much Batman. Any of that. Give me an actor first and foremost, and I think the rest will take care of itself. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, actually, didn't Arnie Hammer get really close to playing the role once upon a time? She was. 
Army Hammer was cast as Batman about ten ish years ago, and in, uh, in in the first attempt at a Justice League film, which was Justice League Mortal, George Miller was going to direct. I mean, they were about to film, and he, I mean, and they, then it was uh, then the, the 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 project was was sent in the turnaround. It was pulled. So he's actually he's been Batman. He's had the costume on. He was all that and. But I think you know back then. Actually, we uh, Batman the film broke that story that he had been cast. It was just a bad time. I mean, it was right before the Dark Knight. Nolan wasn't happy, and he was he was like twenty one, twenty two years old then. It's a bit so, too young for that, to be fair. Yes, yes, yes. So I think that it was just it wasn't his time then. But maybe now it is, you know. Yeah, well, let's let's see. Time will tell, right? But um, so yes. you talked about the different styles and uh, how mm-hmm. we've kind of we're used to seeing Batman being a, a physical presence and all that sort of stuff. We need we need the actor as well, and that kind of lends itself to the rich tapestry of stories out there. And mm-hmm. there's there's tons out there. You know, there's and I'm getting really excited by these rumours that the the new Batman film is going to be more of a film noir, focus on the detective yes. side of things. Now, what sort of stories would you like to see adapted for potentially this new uh, Batman film with Matt Reeves directing? I'm a fan. I'm not a fan of like straight up adaptation, but I am a fan of inspired by. Yeah, uh, Nolan was very good at that. I, I I'd like to see a little bit of maybe Long Halloween in it. Um, you know, the noir part. Year one ha- kind of has that gritty vibe. Hmm. And and you know not not saying it's a it's an origin story at all. I don't think we're going to get that. I mean, there's no point of of trying to do that again. You just had Batman Begins. I mean, I know it was 14 years ago, but still, God, I mean, you don't need to rehash Batman's origin. But but you know that that the gritty aspect of it, I would say those two I, I would look to the most. And there's you know maybe some of the early Batman comics from, you know, the very first incarnation of Batman 39 and 40 would, you know, it was very uh, pulp and uh, detective driven and so forth. So maybe some of those stories would, would, would be a uh, great uh, influence this film. Yeah, no, that's, incredible you just named some of my favorite comics there i've just been getting into the scott snyder run recently and Mm -hmm. um i just just been going through zero year and to be honest i was like i don't i don't want another origin story i've I've heard enough but they've managed to take the origin story and really twist it on its head to the point where you're learning so much more about this character so i'm not too fussed if we do get an origin story as long as it's not something we've already seen Yes, I mean it's. I mean, I, I don't know if we need to see the Waynes be murdered <laughs> again. You know, we've seen it a lot, almost in every Batman film. But um, I think I really think that we're going to get uh, a, like, and for the first time, really, I think, and in the prime Batman, he's in his prime, and his world is established. You know, Matt Reeves mentioned that you know there is a rogues gallery. Well, if, if there's a rogues gallery, then that means. Batman has existed and it's, you know, it's in its full form at that point. So, but yeah, I, 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 I'm really interested in, I think it's going to be a different Batman film than we've ever seen before. I really, I really do. You know, the detective aspect, although I could argue that we've seen that in several of the films, but not, uh, you know, not, as like the the centerpiece of, of the movie, but um, but you know the noir part, and then the I know I know he's very much he looked at Chinatown, he looked at you know a lot of these old movies like that. I think we're going to get a, a true detective story. Seven comes to mind, hmm. which is more recent. So uh, I think I mean, we may get the first uh, true world's greatest detective Batman film that we have not uh, escaped up to this day. Yeah, no, I think yeah, I think you're right there. Um, look, I've got one of the, probably the world's leading expert on Batman here, so I've got, I'll be amiss if I didn't ask the question of what is your favourite Batman film, your favourite Batman comic, and Batman game? Okay. Um, a favourite Batman movie is Batman Begins. Strong, uh, classic. It, it, 
straight up, Batman Begins is my favorite movie. I think The Dark Knight is a better film overall, but as a true Batman film, it's Batman Begins. I love the movie. My favorite Batman comic. Oof. Okay, I'm going to take you back. It's 1973. Batman number two. two let me get a look. I'm going to cheat. That's on my wall. <laughs> 251, yes. Batman, I have it framed, actually, in my office. Batman number 251, 1973. It's, it's uh, uh, the Joker's five-way revenge. I love that that story. That's my favorite Batman story. Probably, I think it was, uh, I think it was as a kid, it was the first, quote-unquote, dark and serious Batman comic I had read. And I, that's, that's the first one I really remember of him being... You know, it being a dark story, it, 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 it's the first comic that the Joker came back after after several years. It's, it's the first incarnation of the Joker as kind of we, we know him today. Not not this this uh, funny prankster, but a a straight up crazy homicidal son of a gun. And then my favorite game. Ugh, let's see. Um, I played all the Arkham games. Uh you know what? I'm going to go old school. Way back in the day, I had a 8-bit Nintendo, the original t- Nintendo, and the Batman 89 game on there was pretty awesome. Little scroll games going across. So I'm, I'm going to say that just just to, just to throw something. I mean, it, it's easy to say the Arkham games, which are awesome. But I'll throw in the, Bat, the Batman game from 1989 based on the movie is my favorite Batman game. Amazing, absolutely incredible. I really, I, I didn't play the '89 game, but they done, yeah. uh, they done a Batman Returns adaptation for like the Sega yes, Master too. System. Yeah. yeah, that was so hard. But uh, it was yeah. hard. But, he went on that umbrella and all that. Yeah, I yes, that. yeah, <laughs> classic. I want because uh, when the film came out, my parents were like, "You are not allowed to see this. Danny DeVito looks scary." Oh you, my gosh. but yes. they, but they're allowed. They allowed me to see him in pixelation form on on my video game. But uh, <laughs> but that's it. Yes. But, uh, Bill, thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. And I know the fans of Talk Film with me are going to absolutely love this. Uh, we're all Batman nerds, so we're all smiling ear to ear listening to this. Thank you so hey, much for hey. your time. Yes, I pre- uh, you're welcome. Hey, look, this is the best time. You know, it's the best. It's just the most fun time we have. You know, we're going to get a really casting news. We're going to see eventually see uh, publicity stills of, of the costumes and. The Batmobile and God, this I, this is I, I, this is my wheelhouse, and I'm very, very, very excited for the next uh, couple of years to cover this film. And um, you know, hell, I, we'll talk about it again at some point. I hope. Amazing. Yes, would love to have you back on when we hear a bit more news and uh, maybe when some traders drop. It'd be amazing to hear your opinion on this. Uh, once again, thank you so much. Yes, sir. Thank you. So, John, it's been a while since we've done a feature on the pod. We were actually going to do this as a feature last week in the studio, but um, we had too much of a good thing and we ran over, so I shelved it to this week. Uh, Basically, when you're sitting at home watching TV and just got nothing to do and every now and again you'll flick through and a film pops on, um, there are certain films out there that doesn't matter where they are or how old they are, when they come on TV, you have to watch from that moment it hits your screen to the to the credits roll and uh, it's just I find this fascinating the amount of times I speak to people and I oh yeah that was on TV the other day and you'll have this big water cooler conversation about that that film and I had that the other day with Back to the Future and um, it was Back to the Future Part 2 classic uh, in my my personal opinion the best of the three but still it's a pretty damn good trilogy right and uh, yeah what, what other films that just pop on that you have to watch all the way through you know what I think I got uh, sucked into the Back to the Future uh, one as well. I think it was the first one though, because they did the trilogy, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. There's al- there's always like you'll put it on, and it's the same. I think they used to do it at Jurassic Park quite a lot until Jurassic World came out. There'll be like a marathon of those films, either one after the other, or it might be on another channel is the second or or whatever. But yeah, there was like a Back to the Future day going on. I ha- yeah, I watched it in a new light though, because uh, there's a really funny comedian, John Mulaney, who does a riff on uh, 
Back to the Future one and how fucked up it is <laughs> that he goes back and his mum wants to fuck him and you know it's uh, it's kind of <laughs> questionable plot but uh, it makes you watch it again in a slightly different light but it's, uh, I recommend seeing that riff on it but yeah Back to the Future's one do you know what I I swear ITV2 I think it was showed Shawshank Redemption like every week for about four years <laughs> and no matter how many times I'd seen it and obviously it's one of the greatest films of all time it always comes up top three in the list doesn't it yeah that's true the reason it's so good is because there's not there's no dead weight in the movie is there you see one little part of it and it's like a small story within a bigger story like it might be brooks's library and then you get sucked into that and then before you know it you have to watch it all you have to get the payoff at the end right because you can't just watch a that's yeah. the sort, sort of movie you can't just watch the middle bit because you don't get any payoff it's all about the the amazing end and i think that's sort of the key to these tv movies that draw you in what's another one of yours uh, all i can think about is a man crawling through a tunnel of shit and everyone's just happy for him <laughs> what a <pay> um, <laughs> yeah 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 exactly um last action hero always seems to come on i don't know why but it's always for me when i whenever i catch it on tv i always seem to join it at that scene where charles dance opens the door for the first time and has the have a nice day thing in his eyeball i don't know why it always seems to start there for me um that's always on jurassic park that's that's always on at the moment especially on sky cinema they're constantly playing that one do you remember like as to your point about um shawshank redemption always being on um actually what about uh, total recall there was like a period of about 10 years where that seemed to be on once a week at least yeah, didn't it absolutely a lot of those i think the 90s action films had they they were on a lot point break used to be on a lot it was speed all of those the mindless ones that would just suck you in wouldn't they keanu reeves you know mm. what's gonna happen he's gonna stop the you know he's gonna stop the bus from blowing up because of this amazing <laughs> device that this terrorist has put on it but you just have to see it through to the end. It's, it gets you so quickly. It's kind of it's clever. But what is the criteria that makes a film that catchy? It's like listening to a catchy song, isn't it? You're like, I have to mm. keep listening to this, even though it might be hot garbage. Um, so I sounded a bit American there, spending too much know. time with my American wife. <laughs> Do you think it's like a nostalgic thing? Because like, there's not many modern films that do that. And I don't know if that's just because we're we're angry men who yell at clouds or is that be just because the the timing or what channels they're on or, or i don't know there's something about you, you never hear someone say oh you know that film that came out a couple of years ago there that was on tv the other day oh, i couldn't help but be suckered in i don't know it's just there's something about a certain period of films or like the you know, bond films like every bank holiday they'd always be on wouldn't they and you'd, you'd sit there and and yeah, watch yeah i think there's something about those I think something about 90s movies that the pacing was just bang on and it was easy to understand and follow. They were just uh, slightly more accessible. Nowadays, I think we're almost... Films are kind of competing a bit more with each other. They feel like they have to be a bit more clever yeah. or original. And so I think... I don't know. What am I... We sound like old men again moaning, don't we? <laughs> we do i think it's probably saying it's probably something to do with licensing agreements as well right because like the more modern films they end up on streaming services a lot quicker especially ones that don't do well in the box office so um the likelihood of like network tv getting them you remember it used to be a big thing the network premiere of of a, a film coming on and now it's just like really we all watched that like five <laughs> years ago but uh, one thing that always makes me laugh is that um there was a period of time when a film would get onto Sky um, at a similar time to when the VHS version of that film would be available. And the prime example for this is The Matrix. Um, I think it, it came out in like the start of that year in 1999 and it became available in retail uh, for Christmas that year. 
and one of my Christmas presents, I was like, oh, I want The Matrix. It's like a great film. I really want. So my parents went and, and got that for me, presumably, and uh, or or Santa, but I, I suppose it was my parents now. But um, they they wrapped it all up, and the Sky premiere on Christmas Eve was The Matrix. And I weren't allowed to see it in cinema because I think it was like a 15 or something. And uh, I ended up watching my Christmas present on Sky and then the next day getting it on VHS. Turns out it was a pretty good film, so it doesn't matter. But anyway, yeah, The Matrix is one of those films, actually, speaking of it, that always used to do the rounds, wasn't it? Oh, that's been around the block a few hundred times. But it is funny. It's a funny old phenomenon because the next generation aren't going to know what we're talking about right now. They'd be like, what? You get you, you just put on a film casually that was on and you got sucked into watching it? It's like, no. There, there is an art to... I think it's a little bit sad in a way, that nostalgia for us of sitting there, having nothing to do, boredom leading you to watch this movie and then just get completely fixated and have to watch the rest it's not going to happen in the next generation is it everything's on demand terminator 2 judgment day that was always on the terminators and the robocops i'd buy that for a dollar but um, there was um there was also a period of time when films were edited for tv so what that meant is like let's say um a country would buy the film rights to distribute on on national TV and they had X amount of minutes to fill uh, over that time period, there would actually be a period of time when film studios would do an edit specifically to that time cut. So you'd actually get scenes put back into films that might have ended up on the chopping room floor uh, back in for TV. Great example is actually Ace Ventura When Nature Calls. They ended up putting scenes back into the film for whenever whenever it was played on network TV to fill the gap allocation for it. That's yeah, insane. Yeah, that's funny. It's, I mean, I love the uh, a poor choice of advert cuts, though. You know when they have to do an advert break every 15, 20 minutes and it just happens at the completely the wrong time where they yeah, like, got yeah. to this really emotional part in a, you know, a, a rom-com or something and suddenly it'll be like... BT advert with that gormless twat making a fool of himself and you're like oh no <laughs> ruined um, but Ace Ventura is another one isn't it I mean I think about 70% of me watching that has been watching midway through and just joining in because you completely suck it in by the best comedic performance of all time oh yeah I've got to agree with you on that Jim Carrey's an absolute legend he must be sitting there thinking Why'd they cast Will Smith for the genie? I'm right fucking here, guys. Like, just pick up the phone. Um, But yes, anyway, so there are tons of films out there which always sucker you in. Uh, Is there, have we missed any? Join us there, one that, like, is the ultimate TV film that suckers you in. Oh, cool runnings. (laughs) I'm glad you got that. (laughs) Absolute classic, that film. Generally, I never, I've never smiled so much at a film than Cool Runnings. Absolute classic. That's one from my childhood, isn't it? Or anyone with, anything with John Candy, and that always seems to, to ring a bell, right? That always puts a smile oh, on your yeah. face. He had those five years where he just banged out family classic after family classic. John Candy, banging it out since 1985. <laughs> anyway, so is there any films that we've missed? Any awesome films that when they come on TV, they sucker you in? Uh, let us know. We'll talk about it, and we'll talk about it with you at Talk Filmy to Me. Streaming Gems. You're not from around here, are you? No, I'm retired. What was your job? I was in the funeral business. As you know, we manage the investments of our employees. If a former agent dies after retirement, their $8 million goes back to the company. Polar. It's a Netflix original available on your streaming services now. I think it premiered a couple of weeks ago. Uh, a while back, Netflix went out and started accumulating various publishers, comic book companies, and I think they're called Dark Horse Comics. It was one of the companies they acquired with the view of making original content from them. And this is one of those production houses' results. Uh, Polar. It's a comic book uh, set in a world of assassins where after a certain age, you are retired. You retire at the age of 50 and basically you go live in a nice world of luxury or so to believe anyway so this film follows a character called 
Duncan Visler, who's played by Mads Mikkelsen. You may know him as Hannibal in the TV show version of Hannibal. He was also the bad guy in uh, Casino Royale. He's also been in Doctor Strange. He's a really good actor, Danish guy. Uh, really striking features, very striking face. Apparently started his life as a professional dancer, John, believe it or not. Wow, that's blown my mind. Well, there we go, talented man. So anyway, uh, Duncan is approaching the age of 50. Throughout his entire career as being an assassin, he has been squirreling money away as much as possible. As part of his organisation, they've got a very generous pension scheme, and at the age of 50, they retire. Now, for whatever reason, his organisation has decided they do not want to pay him, he said, retirement fund, so basically hires assassins to go after him. It's got a very John Wick feel about it. Now, we we know these films do well. John Wick has grossed a lot of money. Obviously, think of Liam Neeson's Taken movies as well in a similar vein, although Liam Neeson's probably not the right person to be a role model at the moment. And um, this is an interesting film. I'll start with that. John, what was your, your take? Oh, I've got some thoughts. Um, it's a strange... I mean, let's start with the very beginning, because this first scene, I didn't check out any reviews, didn't know anything about this film. Uh, I saw that it was an 18, and, you know, it was going to be gory. So that was a good start. But, um, I mean, it starts out, this scene in Chile, and it the shot is absolutely beautiful, this huge shot over the mountain range there. Colours is vibrant, it looks incredible, and the first sort of scene, you, know, you don't quite know what's going on, it's kind of interesting. It kind of draws you in, <laughs> but it lulls you into a false sense of security. And these fancy graphics and kind of offbeat cuts make it look like it could be a really interesting movie. Uh, and I think for all intents and purposes, they set out to make a really fun, interesting movie full of juxtaposition. And what came out was a very confused turd. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's the cast is very strange. Uh, but interesting, Matt Lucas is the bad guy of Little Britain fame. George Dawes, of course. I mean... What a scores. And to be fair, he does he does quite a good job. We've got Vanessa Hudgens of high school Great musical actor. fame uh, as the sort of, you know, girl next door, love interest, not sure. Um, you got... Uh, Mads Mikkelsen, who does a you know great job as the assassin, it's uh, a very odd cast, a very odd mix, which sort of goes along with the movie because the whole thing it's like there's three movies and they've sort of pieced it together. It's like this gory comedy, there's this serious sort of revenge film, and then um, I don't know what the third movie would be but it, it wouldn't be a good movie um what what do you think <laughs> flinty um i i i really went for a trip on this film um first of all that scene you're talking about the opening sequence so this isn't a spoiler alert basically there's an opening scene where you can see someone in a very uh wealthy environment get all of a sudden assassinated and it's johnny knoxville of all fucking people um and it's, it's weird to see him in a film and looking old as well which is kind of weird but um yeah i I go through a really weird trip on this movie. Sometimes there's some moments of genius. Sometimes there's literally, this is worse than B-movie uh, action. And then there's all of a sudden that I just don't know where they go from here. Um, it tries to move away from its own comparisons of John Wick to the point where there's a scene that he adopts a dog but then accidentally shoots it. And anyone that shoots a dog in a film all of a sudden goes, they're, like, they're worse than Hitler, mate. I like, I hate them. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, a, I'm a big dog person, so I was very upset to see that. But Mads Mikkelsen is such a good actor. And there's something about his performance, regardless of how crazy it is. I think I was WhatsApping John as I was watching it. And anyone in the UK, um, you might remember a horrible TV show in the 90s called Eurotrash. Um, I was like, <laughs> if if John Wick was made by the people who made Eurotrash, it might look like this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Mickelson, fair play to him. He commits fully to this role. Like He is all in. Um, but he's he's in this... It's like he's, he's done this great performance in this very strange movie. Uh, so let's talk about one side of it, which is basically kind of gore core. But I would actually I'm make a new genre call, called bore gore because it gets old quickly, right? It's like let's yeah. make 
really disgusting ways to kill someone and just tons of gore but it's, it's i mean if that's your thing maybe but it kind of it's so cold cartoonish and over the top that it gets old quickly uh there's also a scene and I'm, I'm going to spoil a scene here but uh a guy gets his head drilled through um and <laughs> one of my nightmares as a kid was my dad drilling through my head when i stole orange juice from the fridge so i got a bit of you know tough but fair bad dreams so that yeah i didn't like that scene for that reason but i mean this the gore is over the top and it is comical at times but it's comical without being that funny um yeah got old quick (laughs) i think and then the other side of it is this vanessa hudgens and mickelson playing these like kind of emotional deep uh scenes that uh, which is just an odd mix. The music doesn't work with those scenes. The music doesn't work with the other scenes. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I I agree with you, John. There's a there's a there's an interesting film here. Look, it's part of your Netflix subscription. If you paid good money for this, you'd be probably pissed off. But there's some there's some little nuggets of interestingness here. I don't know what to put my finger on from that. I do agree with you though. The gore is a bit not too much, but it's just it's just. It isn't done in a in an artful or tasteful way. It's just a bit gore for gore's sake. Um, I also think they could have done with a fight choreographer for the film. Like, it's just it's almost hilarious the way how uh, some of these fight scenes pan out. There's literally one scene where Mads Mikkelsen's character grabs a dude, throws him against the wall, and gets a nail gun and nail guns him in the Kanakas, and the guy doesn't even react. And it's like I'm pretty sure you you would. Uh, You'd be in a bit of pain there, pal. But uh, there's something interesting in this film. I've got to applaud the creativity in some parts of this film. And I know this might sound really weird, but video game guys will get this. It kind of feels like Hideo Kojima has hit influenced this film in some size, shape or form. Even to the point where Mads' character loses an eye and wears an eye patch just like Solid Snake. And the fact that actually these two, like um, Hideo Kojima and Mads Mikkelsen, are really close friends. So it wouldn't surprise me if there was some genuine influence from Hideo Kojima in this film. Anyway, that's probably me being a bit too nerdy. Um, I, I hate the font at the start. I've got to say, I call out bad fonts when I see them. And there is some terrible use of fonts here. I think there's um, there is some interesting parts of this movie. I feel like the actors, it's not all the performances are okay, but... I don't think any of them know what kind of film they were making. And then they probably watched it back and were like, oh, uh, okay, that's not what I (laughs) thought was going on. But uh, okay, that's interesting. Um, So, yeah, I think it's uh, fair play. It's it's bold. It's balls deep. Trying to do something. It's kind of original uh, in places. But I think... I'm afraid it has fallen down at nearly every hurdle for me. I'm, I have to go one out of five. What about You're you? You're going one. Oh, I, I kind of want to go two. Just because it's good to see Matt Lucas doing something that isn't <laughs> Little Britain. And Mads Mikkelsen is a fine actor. He's a good actor. And I think he carries this. If there was anyone else in that role... I think it would be worse than a, it'll be like it'll be even worse it'll be like Sharknado levels bad you know <laughs> but these guys they've managed to pull something off uh, it was Johnny Knoxville's in it that's something and um, <laughs> and he he kind of looks cool with the eye patch on so um it's one suggests it's terrible I wouldn't say it's terrible it's just not that it's good terrible. All right, okay, all right. The, the people have spoken. I will agree with you on this one. And street, for a streaming gem as well, we are we are quite uh, hitting them. But anyway, there you go. Polar, one out of five. But give it a go and let us know what you think on Twitter at TalkFilmingToMe. I was stuck reliving the same day over and over again until someone wearing a baby mask murdered me on the night of my birthday. Turns out it was my... Happy Death Day to You is the sequel to the original film Happy Death Day that came out in 2017. Now... I'm pretty sure not many people saw Happy Death Day, so I'll just lay the foundations of the first film. Basically, think of it as Scream meets Groundhog Day. It follows an American teenage girl called Tree. Basically, um, 
it's her birthday, she gets killed, but then she wakes up and the day starts again. It's like a continuous loop. She's in a loop of her death day and she basically has to find out who her killer is before she gets murdered to break the loop. Now, it was an interesting breath of fresh air at the time. It was a low budget. Yeah, you think of it as a Bloomhouse production film. It was produced by Jason Bloom himself. It made a, a bit of money and it made a bit of a splash when it came out, but no one thought a sequel would ever see the light of day. But here we are, two years later, with the sequel Happy Death Day to You. Um, the concept is basically a year has passed since the first film and Tree is once again back into a loop. The only difference is this time is that all her friends are also in said loop. So when her friends die, the loop recycles. So basically they have to find a new killer and all that sort of thing. I'm not going to go into too much more spoilerific detail than that. Um, this goes down a very comedic route. Uh, it's definitely more not taking itself too seriously. Um, yeah, there's some interesting gags in here. Uh, Cast-wise, we've still got a lot of the original cast. You've got Jessica coming back, reprising her role as Teresa. Uh, we've also got some new actors into the mix with uh, Israel Brazard, as well as as well as well Steve Sears. We've got quite a few interesting extroverts in this. Uh, this is directed by Christopher Landon. Um, in terms of this sequel, he definitely didn't want to retread over old ground. Although it's a similar concept, he does uh, explore some new things, kind of explaining why uh, Teresa would go in and out of this sort of stuff. Kind of want it to be a bit kind of like back to the elements of back to the future inspiration i can kind of see that um i enjoyed this you know this is a a uh, not everything has to be massive epic spectacle and definitely you know that's the case with happy death day to you i mean the film only costs like five million dollars to make and it's grossed 30 million dollars in its opening weekend which is about the same as what um battle angel grossed so i think the folks over at Bloomhouse are definitely happy about this look if you like scream and if you like groundhog day then chances are you're going to enjoy this film at the moment it kind of holds a 66 percent uh, review rating over Rotten Tomatoes and the average person giving it 5.9 out of 10. There's nothing wrong with this film. I really enjoyed it. it. Like I say, it doesn't take itself too seriously. There's an interesting conclusion. There's also an interesting post-credit stinger, which kind of sets up a Death Day universe, which is obviously interesting to see where they go from that. Um, I'm going to keep the review short and sweet. You know, it's What you see is what you get in the trailers. Um, it's fun. I enjoyed it. I'm interested to see where they go from this. Maybe there's a happy death day to free. I don't know. Maybe that's a, a terrible thing. It's probably why I shouldn't name posters. Anyway, so I'm going to score this. I'm going to score it three out of five. Um, watch the original beforehand. You'll get a flavor, but it's definitely going down the more comedic stuff. And a, another hit for Bloomhouse. This is probably going to carry on and on and make them tons of money. So there you go. Three out of five. Happy death day to you. In crisis mode tree. Who's going to pledge Kappa now that we have a death curse? Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. If you've enjoyed listening to this as much as we've enjoyed making it, please click on the like, subscribe, follow, whatever button it is that you get more content from Talk Film With Me. Also mentioned, we've got a website launching very soon. If you go on talkfilmwithme.com, you'll be able to subscribe to our newsletter and find out when the new website comes out, when podcasts are coming out, when we're going to be doing events and all that sort of stuff. There's tons in the pipeline and we can't wait to share it with you. Anyway, back to this pod. John, thank you so much, buddy. How can people find you? You can find me on Twitter. Twitter at Descamento shouting into the abyss. <laughs> the abyss. Anyway, thank you for listening. Stay filmy till next time. We're down in the basement. We'll lock the cellar door and baby. Talk filmy to me.